Hello everyone, this is Pastor Joyce Erickson with BelieversBibleSchool.com and this is where we study the books of the Bible, one book at a time, one chapter at a time, and verse by verse. And so we are in the book of 1 John. And we, our last episode, we were in 1 John, a little background study on docetism and the Apostle John. But now we are starting the first chapter and we are ready, just about ready. I'll give you just a little intro on this chapter. Then we will begin with verse 1. So we know that the Apostle John is addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I did bring out in the background study on this chapter that there were a few other really small churches, but the main churches were the seven churches of um, in Asia Minor. But what it meant is the Apostle John was speaking to believers and most of these believers were Gentile believers who had left their pagan beliefs and they came to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Yet he is God, but he came to believe as um, Jesus as their Savior. And so keeping in mind that coming out of paganism, Sadly, there were some of them that brought in their some pagan beliefs into their Christianity. Thus, we have the cultic belief of docetism. Now, docetism basically was saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh, blood and bones, but he came as a spirit to the world, a metaphysical belief, heretical belief. And um, and this metaphysical belief came out of the Gentile paganism in that their gods roamed in the, in the heavenly simply as spirits, and they never came to earth as physical human beings. And they brought that thought into Christianity. So Docetism claimed that those who saw Jesus in the flesh were simply seeing him as a ghost-like figure, that Jesus, what they saw was a figment of their imagination. And so because pagan worship considered flesh of no importance to any of the deities, which means really they could live the way they want, there was pretty much no such thing as sin, that same thought uh, came into the church. And of course, that encouraged carnality, fleshly living, and it was all heretical. And so we see now the Apostle Paul, he starts to confront in his letter this cult of docetism. So let's begin by reading verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. 
So the Apostle John, he's firm to emphasize that Jesus, whom he called the word of life, has always been. He came from the beginning with his Father. In other words, Jesus and God are one substance, the one true God. And we know from John 1 and John 1, 14, which were the writings of the Apostle John, which he had written years ago, but we can see it in the Gospel of John. He wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in other words, Jesus left his deity, he left, um, he left the Godhead coming from his Father in heaven, came down to earth to manifest, to show himself, to uh, become real as a physical man. And so John here is careful to emphasize that he and the other apostles and disciples bore witness to his physical presence upon the earth. They personally saw his body with their own hands, and they touched his flesh with their hands as well. Jesus was real. In other words, Jesus left his Godhead in heaven, came down to earth as flesh, bone, and blood. He came down as a real human man. And so John continues on to claim that eternal life comes from the Father in heaven and through Jesus, eternal life is now manifested, made real, come to mankind. Okay, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So what he is telling us here is through Jesus, who is God, as well as the Son of God, John proclaims with excitement that we need a, to have a deeper desire to commune with one another as fellow believers, because of our deep relationship, our communion with God and his son, Jesus Christ. So in other words, our relationship with Jesus should be reflected in our relationship with other believers. And, and, and he wants a koinonia type of relationship. So what is koinonia? It's a Greek word meaning communion, Christian communion. And, and basically, according to Wikipedia, anyhow, joint participation and unity within the Christian church, within the body of Christ. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that our relationship to Christ and other believers goes beyond just knowing each other, acquaintances. No, it goes beyond that. He's telling us that we have close communion, first of all, with Christ, and then with other believers. And this is how we experience true joy 
in our Christianity. So how do we apply this to our life today? First of all, where we go to church is a, a vital part of our Christianity. <clears throat> it's so important that we attend a Bible-believing and practicing church to not only grow in our faith, in our communion, in our fellowship with Christ, but to also have a vital fellowship with other believers in our church. And that this is how we experience true joy in our Christianity. So, verse number five. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So now we're going deeper. So we're talking about our relationship with Christ and our relationship with others, in other believers. So he is saying, this is the message that Jesus spoke, and I declare to you, God is light, and in him, Jesus and God, in, there is no darkness. If God is light, what then is light? Truth the pure sinless truth of God and his word is light and in that there is no darkness. So therefore, if anyone says that they have fellowship with Jesus, but lives in a lifestyle of sin, they are liars because the two are incompatible. The fruit of their lifestyle is the living truth of what they truly believe in. Matthew 7, 16 tells us that you will know them by their fruit. Again, the fruit of their lifestyle is the living truth of what they truly believe in. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so all this is saying is, if you believe and you practice this cult of docetism, you're not living in truth. You are living in darkness because you are believing a lie or anything else that violates the word of God. And if docetism is basically claiming the same thing that the pagan beliefs um, are, that you do not have to worry about sin, because the gods don't care about sin. So docetism basically is saying, God don't care if you sin or not. And so go ahead and sin. So that um, is false. It's heretical. And it violates the word of God. And now remember docetism believed that Jesus simply came as a spirit and carnal living was not a sin, acceptable, and therefore they believed God would not judge them after their flesh. They could live any way they wanted. Wrong. Totally heretical. So then, to be a true believer in Jesus, one must believe that Jesus, in fact, I'm going to go through the five points of Christianity. And we need to believe this with our heart. 
to believe in G, uh, or to be a true believer, you must believe, first of all, that Jesus is God and he is the son of God. He came in the flesh, suffered and died the penalty of our sins, and God rose him from the dead. And Jesus is coming back soon to receive his body <clears throat> of believers to himself and forever they will be together. And at the moment uh, that belief comes, the Holy Spirit then enters within the heart of the new believer to teach and to guide, empower, comfort, um, <clears throat> convict one of sin, and deliver them into being a new creation in Christ. So therefore, a true believer desires to live by the fruit of the Spirit, the two work together, faith and obedience, while belief, which is faith, in Christ saves one until so, uh, unto salvation. Obedience is the heart's desire of one who believes. Faith without works is dead. Verse number seven. For if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So if our lives reflect the light, the pure truth of the word of God, being obedient to his instructions, which is life, we not only have true fellowship with other believers, but we all think and pretty much act like Jesus because um, we know when we sin, which we do from time to time, we do have forgiveness of sins. And the word of God tells us through the blood of Jesus, forgiveness of sins belong to us. And so verse 8 says, but if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we are going to sin. I mean, you know, we were born with a sin nature. We certainly don't try to sin, but every once in a while, you know, we do slip up, we sin. And so if we say we don't have any sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So docetism um, would claim you don't sin. and God isn't going to judge you for your sin. You definitely deceive yourself and you're lying to yourself and to others. Again, we all sin because we're born with a sin nature. And it is therefore impossible to walk in the light of the word of God when God's truth does not dwell in us. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God's truth, living and operating within us to be able to walk into walk in the light of the word of God and get rid of sin. Verse 9, familiar verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, we're going to sin. We don't set out to sin, but we're going to because of our sin nature. And so... Um, a believer who has the power of the Holy Spirit operating in his or her life does not practice sin. 
But consistent sinning over and over becomes repugnant to a true believer and the desire to be cleansed of that sin and to be pleasing to God is strong within the heart of that believer. And because we all sin, the indwelling Holy Spirit not only convicts believers when we sin, he convicts us that we are sinning. He is also our advocate to our Heavenly Father to help us to lead a repentant lifestyle. So as such, whenever we sin, our hearts want to repent and confess our sins to God. And when we do, God will forgive us just as he has promised. God is so faithful. He's so faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as if we never sinned. Our hearts are again cleansed and then true fellowship communion with God is restored. Have you noticed that when you do sin and until you confess your sin, you feel like there's a barrier between you and God. And it's like, I don't really want to pray right now because you have broken that fellowship. Sin breaks the fellowship with God. And so it becomes critically important just to stop and say, God, I sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then there is, there's like a cleansing that goes within you and you want to restore that fellowship with the Lord again. So forgiveness, asking for forgiveness is so critical to our Christian faith. And then, of course, God is so faithful. When our hearts um, are asking for forgiveness, he's right there to forgive. And then we become cleansed, and then that true fellowship, that true koinonia with God is restored. And so sin can no longer be a barrier between us when we practice repentance and um, uh, asking for forgiveness. So in all of this, God is so pleased. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar, meaning God, and his truth is not in us. So again, we're all going to sin because we have a sin nature. But to deny that, then we make God a liar. Because of the original sin of Adam and Eve, that sin nature was passed on down to the rest of humanity. And God is firm when he tells us that we all sin and are in need of repentance and confession to bring on his forgiveness. When Christians sin, we put a hindrance in our fellowship between us and the Lord. And again, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our advocate to convict us to let us know when we have sinned. So, praise God that we can come before him in repentance to confess, to ask for forgiveness. For when we do, open fellowship with the Lord begins all over again.
So we have seen in this lesson the importance of knowing the historical background of why the Apostle Paul wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor. The cultural and political atmosphere of the time definitely affected the church and the writings of Scripture. And it's important as Christians to know the history of the church to understand more clearly the depth of what the scriptures were saying to Christians then and how it affects even Christians today. And in the same context, as we are now in the end of the end of times, really, we are living in Bible times as well because we see what goes on, the evil that goes on in the world, it is all around us. And we can see it written in scripture, what we see happening in our daily life. And as such, we live in Bible times. And so uh, what we see, particularly of the political world, is happening right before our eyes. And there's a lot of sin going on all around us. And even more, we should be aware of that sin so we don't get entrapped in it. And so, um, and how to avoid that? Live a repentant lifestyle. And when we do, Jesus forgives. So how exciting news that that is. Amen. Hallelujah. So we have concluded chapter one. And in our next episode, we will go to... 1 John chapter 2. And God bless you, and we'll connect next time.